Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself through your Son and giving us faith in him through the Holy Spirit. We believe because of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Lord, bless the proclamation this morning. Build your church, save sinners, humble the proud, comfort the afflicted. And in the name of Jesus and his glory, we pray. Amen. Well, it's November, and you know what that means. For many of you, it's the start of the Christmas season. For the rest of us sane ones, it's the Thanksgiving season. (laughs) But it seems like every year, though, for those of us who do celebrate the Thanksgiving season, we've become an ever-decreasing minority. We start seeing Christmas lights put up. People take down their Halloween decorations to turn around and put up their Christmas decorations. You start hearing Christmas music on the radio. And for those in retail, well, Christmas season started back in August. Today, Thanksgiving is just that redheaded stepchild of a holiday between Halloween and Christmas. Why? Well, who, who wants to stop and praise and thank God for what he has done for us when we can stuff our mouths with candy or get great gifts afterwards in December? Thanksgiving is just so often forgotten. No, we, we made it a point in our house to celebrate the Thanksgiving season. No Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. We even have a, a Thanksgiving playlist on our Spotify, and there, and there actually are Thanksgiving songs out there. Now, don't get me wrong, Christmas is my favorite season, but we like to keep it to the season. Now, with all this, there are no, this is not, these are not Scripture-sanctioned holidays. Thanksgiving and Christmas are not commanded in the Bible, so they are not binding on our consciences to celebrate them, but they are good things that we as a society do. The Christmas season, we celebrate that God the Son came to this earth as a man to bring redemption of sin to us. And Thanksgiving is a time to praise God and thank Him for what He has done for us. Now, if there is a hierarchy in the holidays, what would it be? Was the incarnation the, the, the end-all purpose of our existence of all creation? Well, according to Scripture, it was not. It was a means to a, another end. Christ's redemption of, of us was all for what, according to Ephesians 1? To the praise of His glory. We will eternally praise God and remember our redemption and thank Him, as we saw in Revelation. Praise and thanks are ultimate. So I guess you could say Thanksgiving in light of the Christmas season would be a a greater holiday. Now, I'm not here to start a holiday debate, but to speak about our, our purpose. We were created and redeemed to praise and thank God forever. Now, what what is praise? And how is it different from thanksgiving? Well, they do go together. Praise is a a recognition of one's character, who they are. Thanks is a recognition of what one has done, their action. 
However, action always comes out of character. God acts out of who he is. For example, we see his kindness displayed in the, for his feeding of not just his people, but for those who don't bow the knee to him. He feeds and clothes them as well. We thank him for his merciful acts, but praise him because he is merciful. So this morning we will look at a praise psalm. A praise psalm is is pretty self-explanatory. It has a much simpler structure than a lament psalm. Lament psalms usually have a five-part structure, a little bit more complex. But praise psalms are are usually just divided into three sections. You have an opening praise, a a development of praise, how and why we are praising, and then a closing statement or vow of praise. But this morning we'll examine Psalm 111. So please turn your Bibles to Psalm 111. And that is on page 509 in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Now Psalm 111 is paired to Psalm 112, but we'll just look at Psalm 111 this morning. Both Psalms are acrostics. Now, an acrostic is a memory device which in each successive line of the poem starts with a letter of the alphabet, in this case, the Hebrew alphabet. So, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, like A, B, C, D. Now, why do this? Well, it's the same reason that we rhyme in our songs and our poetry. So that we would remember, that we would memorize, so that God's people would memorize praise, so that they would not forget. We constantly have to be reminded. And Christianity is a memorial faith. We remember what, who God is and what he has done. Why? So that we would continually praise him. For this is why we live and move and breathe. So in Psalm 111, we will see the proclamation of praise, the practice of praise, and then we'll see how all this plays out in our Christian walk together. But first, the proclamation of praise. Look at verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip down to the end of verse 10. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Let's skip down to the end of verse 10. His praise endures forever. So first, uh, let's look at the, the bookends of this psalm. It begins with a command and then ends with a declarative statement. Praise the Lord or hallelujah in Hebrew. Is not a declarative statement. It's a command. The psalmist tells the, 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 calls on the congregation of God's people to praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. 
It's an imperative, a command of praise. Yah, the shortened version of Yahweh. Hey, everyone, praise Yahweh. It's a call to praise. And then the psalm ends with a declaration of fact. His, Yahweh's praise endures or stands forever. The word forever being uh, repeated throughout the psalm, by the way, five times. A command and then a declaration of fact. He will be praised eternally. That is a determined fact. Yet his people are commanded to praise him. So we have indicatives and imperatives throughout all of Scripture, don't we? Indicatives are are statements of fact, while imperatives imply that there is a responsibility for the one commanded. For example, God knows what we need before we ask, yet we are commanded to pray. God knows eternally who are His, yet all are responsible to and commanded to repent and believe in the gospel. We as believers are promised that once he has saved us, he will keep us and persevere us to the end. Yet we are commanded to endure and to persevere. So we have here a command and a declaration. His praise stands forever, yet he commands us to worship him. But how do we worship, and what about him do we worship, and what has he done for us to worship him? Well, the great thing about the Bible is that it doesn't just give us abstract concepts about God. It's not simply a systematic theology textbook. We see concretely his character through several ways, in his creation, in his commands, and in his redemption. His history with his people. And we see that our lives are about him, not vice versa. So the psalmist declares that he himself, the psalmist, he will join in in the course of the gathered congregation of God's people. Again, the the psalms are congregational songs meant to be sung together. For that is essential for the life of the believer, for God's people to gather with the saints physically and to worship and sing his praises. And he says he will give his whole heart to this worship, not just his lips, not just his physical body, with his mind, his emotions, all that he is. He gives God the glory. He gives God the thanks. He's not someone who's just going through the motions, but his whole body and his soul is directed to to worshiping God with the saints. But worshiping how and and for what? Well, he elaborates. He elaborates on the works of God in creation. His people see the beautiful fall colors and magnify his name. His people see the sunset at the beach and see through it to God's beauty. His people see mountain ranges and say, God is majestic. And then we gather together and we sing songs about this. We remember that God created all of this, all of this for his glory, for his glory and, there's an and, our enjoyment. They go together, his glory and our enjoyment. We are reminded of the goodness of creation, and it brings us back to God's character. He is righteous and gracious. 
He shares his splendor that we may enjoy him. But the sad thing is there are so many in this world that are blind to this. They see beauty, but don't see God's hand in it. Correction. They see his hand in it, yet suppress it. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans 1, does he not? They see it, but hate it and suppress it. But to those whom God has given eyes to see, it's glorious and beautiful. He has shown his people his graciousness in creation, but also in his provision for them. He provides food for his people. Every daily thing we have is from him. I don't care how hard you work in your job, it comes from him. Your ability to work comes from him. All that we have, food, clothes, beds to sleep in, roof over our head, jobs, comes from our heavenly, loving, and eternally giving Father. He promises to give, yet we are commanded to ask for his provision. Another indicative and imperative. Yet we are not, again, we are not the fountainheads of all good. He is. And like I said just previously, he has shown his mercy not only for providing for his people, but also provides for people that aren't his people. You see his graciousness and his mercy for wicked people, yet he is not, he is still gracious to them. But for those who fear him, that is, those who love and serve him, all those who are in Christ, he remembers his covenant forever. And so what is this covenant? What is this providence that he's talking about here? Well, it's the covenant of grace and redemption that he has bound himself to this people, his people. And this is an eternal covenant, unlike the covenant with Adam and and, and the Mosaic covenant, which were temporary and conditional. This covenant is of provision and atonement and a promise of everlasting life. Hence the word forever, repeated. He remembers it forever, and he has given us the sign of remembrance, and we'll take part a little bit later in the Lord's Supper. We remember his covenant of redemption and grace toward us. And unlike the former covenant, which he gave Israel this land, supplanting other nations, his new covenant is much greater. All the earth is the Lord's, and he gives his people this new covenant, all of it with him. This, this is our inheritance. All those in Christ whom he gives the new covenant in his blood, in his blood have all that is, it, that is his. All that he earned is given to us. And he has shown samples to us in this present life until we receive it in this world to come in the world to come. What we're doing now is a foretaste of what we will have forever. We gather together as a church body. This is a foretaste of heaven. We get to taste it, we get to sample it. And also the inheritance of the nations, the, the fact that we see churches, gospel churches planted all over in all the nations, all the world, that God's glory through Jesus Christ and his gospel is declared and over all the world. We see he is conquering this world through the gospel, through his church, where the tastes of heaven are 
everywhere, not just in one location, but in all locations around the world. The whole earth is Christ, not just the land promised to Abraham. Now, if this doesn't excite your soul, this doesn't push you in perseverance, something is, something's wrong. God's glory is our enjoyment, and our enjoyment is God's glory. You want a sermon on heaven? This is it. It is here now, not just in the future. What we are participating in right now is something we will do forever. And nothing in this current world, the fleeting pleasures of this life, will supply this enjoyment. Because everything, everything we truly desire is only satisfied in Him. So as, as God's people recount his awesome deeds and his promises, it ought to spur us to praise. Every Christian ought to be an historian. History should be our favorite subject. Why? Our lives are built on the history of God with his people. Yet I've said it before and I'll say it again. All of the Bible is the Christian's family history. It is my history as a child of Abraham by faith in Christ. And therefore, we proclaim his praise. Now, getting to the details of life, do you have a tendency to dwell on the negative or what you don't have? Now, I know the last sermon I preached was on Psalm 13 and lamentation, and there is a time for that. But even in lamentation, there is praise and thanksgiving. Think about your prayers. Are your prayers dominated by requests? And very rarely, if ever, is there praise and thanksgiving in your prayers. Do you ever have prayers that are praises alone? No no requests at all. We are to request from God our needs and and intercede for others. So please don't get me wrong. We're commanded to do that. We are to do that. But do you take time each and every day to praise him for who he is? Do you think about God's attributes and recite them? Do you list all that he's done for us in Christ and thank him? How about how he has answered prayer for you in the past and for your family over the years? Do you stop and thank him or do you just move on to the next request? I've got that and I'm going to move on to the next thing. So we'd like the the psalmist can join in and praise our Lord for who he is and what he has done. And not only that we praise him for what he has done, but also for what he has commanded. Interesting here. This leads us to the practice of praise. Look at verses 7 through 10. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. So as we look at verse 7, we are reminded of another part of God's works, his law. Or his, his commands. The law is good and holy. 
The first thing that we should think about when we see God's commands is that they show, they display His character. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is just. He is merciful. He is good. Not good in just the abstract, but good specifically in concrete ways. In the details of all the instructions, he displays his goodness. He is a faithful and just God who gives his law. He gives us his instruction. We are not left to wonder how to live. We are given instructions on how to live. Infallible instructions on how to live. So the problem is not with the law. The law is good. The problem is me. The law reveals God's character, but it also reveals mine. And the latter is the problem. It shows me, it shows us that we are not perfect. We are not righteous. We are not just. We are not merciful. We are not good. But... But in all that, it is a good thing that it shows us these things. Why? Because it also shows us the accomplishment of the fulfilling of of the law must come from outside of us. It shows us that we must depend on God for the fulfillment of it. And how did he do it? Well, before we go on to line 8 or or verse 8, look down at line 9 or or verse 9. He sent redemption to his people. He has redeemed his people. God set this pattern in the Old Testament of his gracious redemption of his people from Egypt and later from exile. All of this pointing to the redemption that would come and has come in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Again, this forever language here. Not a temporary covenant not a temporary salvation, not a temporary redemption, but an eternal redemption. This covenant has to be speaking to the final and eternal new covenant. The fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham that his offspring would receive the eternal blessing. Well, according to Galatians 3, Christ is that offspring of Abraham. And you know what? You know who else are offspring of Abraham? All who are in Christ through faith in him are Abraham's offspring as well. And only those who are in Christ are Abraham's offspring, Abraham's children. If Christ is the true offspring, all those in him are his as well. And this covenant is given to them. To us. So he's given us redemption through his eternal covenant. But now let's go back to the law, his commands. Now we see that the law reveals our sinfulness and our need for fulfillment of it from outside of us. God alone can fulfill his law. God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and in his humanity fulfills the law perfectly, not for himself, but on our behalf. He then was crucified by sinful men, yet for us, accomplishing, taking on the punishment for our disobedience to these commands. And he was raised to accomplish our redemption. 
Okay, so the law reveals our sinfulness. Christ fulfills the law for us. If we repent of our breaking of his law and turn to Christ and what he has done for us, we receive this redemption. Okay, now what do we do with God's commands? Do we neglect them? <laughs> By no means. We walk in them, though not now, at, but now as a child obeys a loving father, no longer under the curse of law. Now I'm a child of God, and I obey, knowing my status with him is unchanging. I can't lose my sonship. God's commands are the guide to my life, that I may please my gracious father, because Jesus is now my brother, and the Holy Spirit is my helper. Nothing I do or do not do changes this status. So now I see the commands and precepts of the Lord as demonstrations of his character, of our loving Father, and we praise him for his revelation to us. His commands are no longer burdensome. And there's one other benefit to walking in his ways. Look at verse 10 again, beginning of verse 10. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The fear and reverence of Yahweh leads to wisdom. Bowing down to worship Him leads to understanding. Worship and wisdom go together. You become like what you worship. Those who treasure his word, those who continually sing and recite these things, those who attend to what he has ordained for us to practice, grow in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the the humble awe we have before our great and mighty God. And wisdom is, is really the fountainhead of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the practical day-to-day life of life in the Spirit, life of worship of, of the Father through Jesus Christ in the Spirit. This is what it looks like to be wise. Worship encompasses our everyday lives. That's why it's tied to wisdom. It's not, just, it's not just confined to what we do as a gathered congregation, even though that's a major part of it. But it's what we do Monday through Saturday as well. We daily ascribe the Lord to the Lord the glory due His name in everything. This is wisdom. This is what we were created for, worship. This is what we were redeemed for, worship. Ephesians 1, just all the deep theology of Ephesians 1 shows us after all this that God has done for all, from all eternity for his people. What was the end? What was the goal? What was the purpose of our predestination, our election, our forgiveness, the atonement, the gift of the Holy Spirit, our union with Christ? All of it was to the praise of his glory. This is our joy. This right here is the culmination of all our desires. Eternal life is now. Heaven is now. In a sense that we get to enjoy for all eternity in the world to come, we already get to taste. So let's, let's think about our ambitions for a moment. All of us, all of us, trained from an early age to be ambitious for certain things. Many of us have aims and goals in life. 
We want to have this career, say, in, in law or, or medicine. We want to make, our name, make a name for ourselves as a lawyer or a surgeon or, in this town, a, a rocket scientist. Well, maybe you're super ambitious and want to be well-known as a singer-songwriter. Well, maybe it's not necessarily a, a, the title or career you're ambitious about, but maybe it's just you labor to make a lot of money so you can retire early and have multiple houses and travel the world. Oh, okay, say you have pious ambitions and you want to serve in the church and display. Uh, use your gifts. Ambitions. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be used by God for various things and titles and service avenue. I want to be used by God. All of us want to be used by God. But in all these titles, all these avenues, is that ultimately what we were created for? Is that what Christ has redeemed us for? For many of you, God, our Heavenly Father, in His loving kindness has humbled you so much to where now you realize that union with Christ is all you desire. If I'm used by God for this or that, great. If He uses someone else for that, praise God. But the aim, the chief ambition, now has become that whatever I do, I want to praise my Savior God and walk in his ways. What he has commanded, what he has written is what he has commanded, not what he has not written. He never commanded me to preach. He commanded me to follow him, to love him, and to enjoy him. It just so happened that I had opportunities to preach. If they hadn't, I would still seek to glorify him even if I were a Walmart greeter or a Hobby Lobby stalker. He never commanded you to be an engineer, to be a nurse, to be a great salesman. He never commanded you to be a title, to be a teacher, etc., etc. It just so happened that you, he has put you in these various vocations. It wasn't, that wasn't the end goal. But what he does command is that we love and enjoy him to glorify him in whatever he has us to do. So why don't we make that our ambition? It has to be our ambition. Why? Because that's what he saved us to be. That's what he saved us to do in Christ. You want to know contentment? Love and joy God in Christ. Enjoy your salvation in the gospel. Enjoy his promises. Enjoy his commands. We practice, we walk our praise and enjoyment. Enjoy life. Because he, in his graciousness and his mercy, has given it to us. So Psalm 111 exhorts or encourages us that believers that we when we gather together, we must praise God for his word and his works in continual thanksgiving. So as thanksgiving is upon us, think deeply about what we praise God for. We just think so surface level about what we praise God for. Think deeply about what we praise him for. Have we made our lives 
about ourselves or about our Lord Jesus Christ? Have we made corporate worship about the glory of God and his salvation that he accomplished in Christ Jesus? Or about our musical preferences or having our felt needs met? Now, all of us, all of us struggle with this to an extent. But when we get ready to sing a little bit later about glorifying the King of Kings, let's sing as if we are glorifying the King of Kings. And we take part in the Lord's Supper after this, which is an element of our corporate worship. Give thanks to Him who bled for you and to the Holy Spirit who united you to the Son. All of this to the praise of the Father. And as you go about this week, You have a tough meeting at work that you are not looking forward to. Sing a hymn of praise to God as you get ready to walk in or on your commute. Praise the Lord with your family every day, whether it be through song or saying what you're thankful for right before dinner or before bed. Maybe you're here today and these things mean absolutely nothing to you. You want to to give thanks, but you don't know to whom. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is where all our thanks should go. While we were sinners and lawbreakers, every one of us, Christ died for us. He was raised from the dead and now reigns forever. And if you turn from your sin and believe in this gospel, you will have eternal life and can now live a life of praise and worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And live a life of thankfulness and gratitude and joy. So trust this gospel today. Church, again, as we are in this Thanksgiving season, let's prioritize what is ultimate, his praise. We are getting ready to plant a church in January. This church is, not, is being planted not to, to, to prioritize certain things, but it is another place, another place in this land that God's praise will be magnified. It's not about who, the, who is get, going. It's about the praises that will be in this area. But think about for you and your personal life. Are you struggling with prayer and devotion? Well, just pray pray prayers of praise for a while and struggling what and what to pray for read the prayers of the bible and let them guide you are you struggling with contentment as we sing as you listen to these words pay attention don't let them just go through one ear and out the other pay attention use your mind worship the lord with your mind think about these things that all of our contentment is satisfied in him and only in him. And why is this? Why? Why is it only in him? Because he alone is the end-all, be-all of all of our desires. And when I remember that, I'm content. When I forget that, which is often, I'm discontent. Remember. Remember. The poetry, the, 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 the acrostic, it's not there for flowery uh, decoration. It's there for a purpose that we won't forget because we are forgetful creatures. 
We have to have repetition. To praise Him. This is why we gather each Sunday as a body. It's why we exist. What is your purpose in life? To be for the praise of His glory. And as the old catechism says, to enjoy Him. His glory is our enjoyment. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, um, our love is so often misguided. Your love is always perfect. Ours, we seek other things that we think to fulfill our desires. Places, people, uh, things, Lord, uh, that are fleeting and they don't satisfy. And when we think about your glory, we always think about it in abstract ways, of ways that uh, just seem so distant and so cold. But Lord, your glory is a part of the gift you give us that we get to enjoy and share in for eternity. For you have planned before the ages, Lord, to redeem a people that share in the love, the communal love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that we get to gather together today and to praise and glorify you in this. I'm thankful that you wake us up each morning, that we can praise you in whatever that we do. Lord, forgive us where we are discontent, that we fall, but Lord, uh, by your grace, you keep us and help us to persevere in praise. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.